What's up, y'all? A little faith, and welcome to episode number 10. 10, 10, 10s across the board of the Fagnostic Podcast. Today, I have my good friend James Levac here to talk about his new book, Life After Losses. I met him through Del Shores, and since then, he has become a friend, a student in my acting class, and an award-winning producer, thanks to his contribution to my film, Cognitive. James Levac is an American author, blogger, and actor residing in North Central Massachusetts. In late 2019, he decided to write his inspirational memoir, Life After Losses, a memoir of love, loss, and life. Part memoir, part self-help book. The book is about his journey through losing not one, but two husbands by the time he was 47. Levesque shares his struggles reconciling his sexuality and his religion and spirituality growing up as a gay man in the mid to late 1980s. It was a near-death experience at 18 years old that freed him to believe he was created in the image of the Almighty and was not a mistake or sinner as he had been preached to. Levesque takes readers along his journey with raw honesty, providing vivid glimpses into the depths of his grief and the highs of his relationships with the men he eventually married. While the circumstances of their deaths were different, he noticed a similarity in grieving in both his own journey and seeing others' journeys too. In a writing journey that started over 20 years earlier, Levesque found catharsis and, surprisingly, meaning in his grief journey several years after the death of his second husband. He hopes to inspire others grieving or processing a loss toward healing and finding there is indeed life after losses. Here is Jim Levesque. James Levesque, thank you for being here today with me. Um, I'm going to call you Jim the rest of the conversation because uh, that's how I know you, but the book that we're going to talk about, Life After Losses, is under James Levesque, which is your full name, and I just don't want to mess myself up by calling you uh, both names, so I want to specify that before we get started, but that's why I'm calling you Jim. Um, Understood. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, thank you for being here. It is, uh, I would say it's such an honor, but we're more casual than that. I'm just glad you're here, because uh, <laughs> we're, we're friends well, outside I, of this. I'm, I'm amazed I'm here, because I've been listening to the, to the podcast, and considering the guests up until this point, um, I, I feel like doing Wayne's World moment of saying, I know I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. No, but your story is, and that's what this whole podcast is about, is elevating those voices, those authentic voices with real life experiences to make the rest of us feel like our questioning and our, our search is okay and safe. Um, and so that said, uh, every episode I start off with the famous question, are you a believer? So are you a believer? Oh. Guys, I'm a believer in Neil Diamond. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say I'm a believer in, in as much as uh, I believe that there are good people in the world. Um, I I believe in in surrounding myself with the the positive energy that that the universe can provide to me. Um, I am not a believer of organized religion. I think that's that's a fallacy of man. Um, but I do believe that there's something greater. I can't put a name to it though. Sure. I get that. Uh, I, I, that's probably the majority of the responses I get is something in that ball game. Um, and we're going to talk about what led you to that take on the divine in a bit. Um, but just so we don't, I don't assume anything. Can you identify your pronouns for us? I, I am a he, him, his. Awesome. Thank you. So Jim, uh, you and I met, well, we met for the first time in real life this past Sunday, <laughs> but, but, but we've, yeah. known each, we've known each other digitally for a few years now, at least. I mean, probably as long as I've known Dell, you have been 
in the realm of recognition as well, because you have been so present. And, and, and when I say Del, Del Shores, who was in episode two, that, just so you guys uh, remember that, um, but Del's a filmmaker and Jim's been a big part of, of funding and contributing to Del's work as well. So uh, because I get paychecks from Del Shores, thank you for your contributions <laughs> to Del Shores. <laughs> um, but how did you get involved with his storytelling um, and, and then to the point of being, being a part of it? Oh, well, there's a, there's a bit of a story there. Um, so I remember seeing Southern Baptist Sissies um, around 99, 2000 timeframe, maybe 2001, um, and was just blown away by the, by the story. Um, and uh, in, in 2014, uh, my second husband passed away, so we're kind of leaping story leaping here we're gonna circle uh, back don't you worry <laughs> <laughs> uh he so he passed away and i reached out to uh, levi christ who did the theme song for southern baptist sissies um about doing a song commission and just so you guys and, know levi is a tony award winning in fucking credible artist um one of the sickest talents yeah yeah uh <laughs> I, i've seen him live once at, at the purple room in palm springs and he truly his gift is, do you know those people that are so good? You're like, can you be, can you just have like one bad show? Can you just, yeah, I, I need that for me. just get a bad key. Once. Right, please. <laughs> um, and it doesn't hurt that he's like sexy as hell. Um, he really has everything and going for him. And we, and we hate him. <laughs> I am. And he's just sweet, one of the sweetest guys. Yes. So he, uh, he, he did, a, he, I did a song commission for him in, in my husband's memory. It was called Legacy. Um, and somehow we got he mentioned uh, Dell was looking for investors for a very sorted wedding um and having been a fan of the sorted franchise for years um i reached out to Dell and we got talking and um so i was able to uh, get the uh, producer credit for for that film um and then uh and then a, a young uh, upstart uh, came up with this film called Cognitive. That, uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he was uh, searching for some some uh, funding, crowdfunding on that. And uh, the story spoke to me. Um, and so what, so so I, what you're I, saying I, is I that you're a, a couple of bucks towards that way too. <laughs> and you got another producer credit. So you were and, and credit, yeah. both of the, the films that you have been producer on have won multiple awards. So you were a producer of of multiple award-winning films at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's part of my bio then. <laughs> Good, uh, yes, it should be. I, I love that. It's a big part. I mean, you can see my awards sitting over my shoulder right now. It's a, I lead with that. I don't bury that lead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you know, like, like you uh, did with Levi, you know, the Tony <laughs> right. Award winner, Levi Christ. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You earn them. Yeah, well, and and as I have thanked you profusely before, your contribution to Cognitive was pivotal to that film being made. I mean, everyone involved with that um, from the financial standpoint, that I'm, I'm looking at the poster right now because every time I see it, I can almost get emotional because of people like you that believed in this story that I didn't really even fully believe in its in its power at the time myself. It was just an accident that I started to work on. and. 
Um, it attracted all the right people from the cast to the crew to the producers. Um, and it's, it still is the gift that keeps on giving. It's, it streams, you know, multiple places. And we're actually going to do a cognitive episode um, with all the cast. Uh, we're just coordinating schedules right now. Um, so right. Jess Lindell, Erica Daniel, um, Zachary, and Zachary's mother, because I feel like that's an important conversation as well. Um, they're all going to be there to talk about, um, you know, their view on, on what that film was about and also um, just religion otherwise. But um, so then you you commissioned Levi to do the song. That's how you met Dell. Um, yeah, that's, well, I think that's how we got reacquainted with Dell. Um, the the my friends that I went to see the the play with reminded me that we stuck at out after the show to meet the the cast and crew. Um, so we must have met at some point. But you know, right. I, I I have slept since then. Yeah. Well, um, I, I know that you've become quite a close friend of Dell's as well. Um, and you, so we knew a bit about your story, I think, leading up to the release of your book, but never in the detail that the book discloses. So can you give us um, an idea of the book's journey? And then I want to circle back to how the book's journey impacted your view on the divine because so much of the book is about your reaction to the spirit world and religion because of the circumstances that life very unfairly threw at you. Um, so, so tell us about the book. So uh, the book is, is a, it's called I, life I, after losses, just so everybody knows. But life after losses, a memoir of love, loss and life. Um, it's available everywhere. Uh, including my website, jameslebeck.com, or lifeafterlosses.com. Um, so yeah, the, it, it's a book about um, the two men in my life that I married and both passed away uh, before I was 47. Um, and the, the impacts of each of those losses and how I got through each of those those losses and take them to the other side uh, and the lessons that I learned along the way. Um, it's it's a memoir slash self-help. I do provide some uh, specific advice that I think is, is helpful to somebody who's, who's grieving or new to the process. Um, I even had a, a conversation earlier today with somebody online. Um, after 17 years, they're ready to, to start the forgiveness process. And, I've been writing about that myself uh, for a while, um, including on, on the blog that, that supplements the book. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was it was a book that was 25 years in the making. I, I started writing it in '97, um, and then I shelved it when it was written because I did not feel, as a 30-year-old, that I had uh, the proper perspective. Um, to share the story, and mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a full story. Well, it wasn't the full when, story because that was before the second husband passed, right? Right. Well, that was before I even met the second husband. Yeah. So it was two years after the after the loss of my first husband. How old were you when you lost your first husband? I was twenty-seven. Oh my god. Yeah, and and so you know, we the, I I talk about how um, you know what does a twenty-seven-year-old know about grieving? when I had not experienced a significant loss in my life prior to that. Nobody taught me how to grieve. So I did uh, I, I did what uh, I would imagine a lot of people do when they don't know what they're doing. I, I, took, uh, I went down the, the path that made life difficult 
uh, in, for future paths. Um, you know, I drank a lot. That was the only way I would sleep is I would, I would drink until I passed out. Yeah. Um, and then I'd go to work the next day and I'd come home drink until I passed out. So, um, yeah, there were, and I, I, I talk about this in the book. There's, you know, um, it's, it's weird. Um, having these conversations with friends that, that think they know me, um, but they don't know the full story. Uh, and even my family, my, my sister, uh, I had lunch with her yesterday visiting, uh, here in California. And, uh, she, she mentioned, I had no idea what you were going through because I didn't make myself available to you. Uh, partly that, but it was also partly because I was pushing people away. I was in a lot of pain. Sure. Um, and so I, I, I did um, some self-destructive things. Uh, but, in, but you also, because I, I feel like this can really speak to people who may be, because people may hear your story and think that's so much loss. I don't have that, but they still, there's a chance to take away something from your experience on a smaller oh, yeah. scale. And I feel like with you looking to vices, but also I know from the book, you were addicted to work. I mean, you were, you were addicted to this trajectory of moving forward and faster and bigger and richer and um, which many of us are I mean that's yeah. part of the, the toxicity of the American dream but you know it's it seems that you were you were avoiding what was really going on in terms of recognizing how this grief affects you I was and and again you know it, it took the second time 20 years later to really put things in perspective for me <sighs> Um, and, and so at, you know, at that point, I, the second time as in the second, the second, the second husband, right. And and most people don't lose one partner, you know, until they are late in life. Um, and you lost two before you were even middle-aged. I mean, the, the, the the number of middle-aged is debatable. I saw your face just then. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) But still, I mean, two partners before, I mean, Jim. Yeah, I was 47. Uh, did you repeat the same uh, behavior the second time? I did not. Um, and the reason was I had two children at that point. Yeah. We had, we had adopted two children that we were raising. Uh, How old were they? they? Uh, 11 and 9. God. Yes, 11 and 9. Um, and so... Yeah, it was. A, so I had two preteens that I had to raise. That, uh, and I had the opportunity to. I actually had an obligation. Less, less of an opportunity. It was more of an obligation to help them. Yeah. Learn how to grieve uh, properly. And do you think that ob- go into those uh, negative behaviors like I did before? Do you think that obligation? saved your life from repeating the same behaviors? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it, because I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I had two kids that depended on me and needed me um, before I had a dog. And you know, the dog loved me and depended on me, but right. you know, that was, uh, it was two humans that I had to, uh, I had to take care of physically, emotionally, um, and, and make sure that they they recognized that I was still there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go anywhere and, and that I was going to be there. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, it was seven and a half years ago that that happened. Um, 
actually seven and a half years tomorrow. So um, that's another thing. The calendar is always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how many how many years have passed. Did um, did grieving your second husband take away from grieving for your first husband? Um, no, I don't think it did. I think it actually, um, grieving for the second one allowed me to, because I had gone through it once before, I knew what emotions to expect. Mm. Um, I knew that certain things were going to happen in a certain timeline, whatever that timeline was for me, but it was, it was, things were going to happen that needed to happen. Um, and so having that experience allowed me to grieve the second husband. Um, I don't want to say easier, but it, it was more understandable of what was happening. And so that I could anticipate what was happening. Like, like for the first one, I pushed people away because I, I was, just, I did not want any help. Yeah. Um, I couldn't look at other people. The second one, by that point, I had learned that other people are grieving too, and they want to be able to help. Yeah. Um, and so they, the the community put together a, you know, deliver food to the family uh, thing, and so there was a, a blue cooler on my front porch, and they everybody went online and they they decided who was going to deliver what food on what night. I swear I did not cook a meal for two and a half months believe it um and and it i because i knew that the the community he, he made himself very very big in the community um needed a chance to to mourn and feel like they they were helping as well yeah um so i, I learned some lessons after that first one that uh, i could apply to the second and so that perspective gave me some feeling of gratitude Mm-hmm. For having gone through it before, so that I could go through it again, and then by recognizing that, I became grateful for the second one for giving me the peace to understand the first one. God. So that, and that was over the last. I really came to that realization, um, like right before the final end of the book. Yeah. As as I was as I was in the middle of of writing and recollecting, uh, trying to piece what all of this meant together for me, that's when that realization hit me. Right. Is that I needed one to understand the other and to uh, apply some closure. Yeah, absolutely. What, you, you were raised Catholic, correct? Uh, we started off Catholic. Okay. Um, uh, until my, my parents divorced. Uh, I was at a young age, and then um, you know, that was in the mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was the early seventies. Um, and you know, at that point, uh, divorced Catholics were not allowed to go in go to church, apparently, or to t- take communion, or uh, I think that's what it was. So we um, we were lapsed from the Catholic part, but we still did a lot of the the rituals, um, and then found a different church i don't even remember what it was at that point um that we would go to uh, when i was younger i don't remember which denomination it was. right 
But did but by the time that you met the, because the first husband, from what I I don't think you use this phrase, but he seems to be the great love of your life. Um, there's there was a a more like, maybe I shouldn't say that, but like there was a, the the type of love you had for him seemed very much more fairy tale and romanticized. It was the first love, yeah. Yeah. The first real, the first real. So by the by the time you yeah. met him, where was where was your mind and, and your your soul in terms of your 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 view of the divine? So when I met him, I was twenty one. Um, I had I had uh, I'd gotten into a uh, motor vehicle accident when I was I think it was nineteen, it was right before my nineteenth birthday, where um, I almost died. And it may have been, yeah, it was before my 19th birthday. I had already moved to Santa Barbara. Um, I had had this accident. I almost died. Um, and at the time, I was conflicted because I always knew I was different. And I just refused to accept the fact that I was gay. So I had a girlfriend up until that point. Um, and I had been trying to reconcile faith and sexuality up until that point as well. When I came out of... Um, when I came out of whatever state I was in and woke up in the hospital, I actually felt a sense of peace and calmness to that debate because I felt... The debate of sexuality I, and faith? Yeah, the, the, my, the internal struggle that I was going through yeah. of, of faith and sexuality because I came out of that knowing that I was the way I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. As if whatever divine being that there was said, get over yourself. You're, you're as I made you. Mm -hmm. Live your life as I made you. And you'll be happy. Wow. And, um, and so it was, it, it felt like a weight off my shoulders. So I eventually came to accept my own sexuality to myself. Um, so I, I did break up with the girl, and, uh, it, but then, you know, it still had family, you know, everybody else, needed, or whoever else, I guess, needed to be told. Um, so I did tell, uh, I did come out to my family. My uh, sister said, well, I wonder what took you so long. Um, and then she uh, became a born-again Christian and, and kind of said, oh, well, you know, you're going to hell. Sorry. So she accepted and then rescinded the acceptance well, letter. It, I, I hate to sound it like that way, but it was around the same time that she was doing the, her whole re, re, uh, re, the reborn uh, sure. business uh, as well. So it was like, yeah, I knew, but you're still going to hell. Um, my mom accepted. She was just, of course, uh, uh, worried for me, of course, because, you know, Okay, men are going to die of AIDS. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Um, you're not going to have a life. You're going to die young. People are going to discriminate against you. You know all the normal, sure, uh, parental guilt things because they don't know any different uh, about uh, you know from the from the eighties. So um, I had by the time I met my first husband Bob. Use his name. Um, I had uh, rented a room, a house with him. And because uh, my sister had gotten pregnant, 
she got married. So, you know, it's supposed to go the other way around. <laughs> if you're born again, right? Right. Um, <laughs> Look, I, I'm from Alabama. We do it backwards down there. <laughs> All right. Well, then, then we, 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 California apparently too. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, and I had been living with my sister in, in an apartment, uh, Santa Barbara, because you know, it's expensive. And um, as a student, you needed a roommate. So I, I uh, went to the local Gay and Lesbian Resource Center. And back then it was Gay and Lesbian, not LGBTQIA+. Um, and we, uh, there was a, a posting for a roommate. So I went and interviewed for the roommate. Um, first thing I noticed that, that there was a half dead Christmas tree on the wall. Well, it was a fully dead Christmas tree. Half of a dead Christmas <laughs> Half tree. of a fully dead tree. Christmas half tree. Half of a fully dead Christmas tree on the wall. Uh, decorated. God. Um, <laughs> and what month was this? And, uh, that was uh, March, I believe. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was subscribed for Christmas tree. Um, and he was wearing an, an apron because he was washing dishes. And the, then the, the blue eyes just leapt out at me. Um, and uh, so we talked. Um, I moved in just as roommates. Um, several months later, uh, which was 33 years ago last week, I think it was, on the 14th. <laughs> See, that calendar's always mm -hmm. Um, he pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, our, our, our other roommate, Patty, uh, thinks that we flirt a lot. Is there something going on here between us? And, uh, yeah, there was. So we wound up, uh, being together for seven years after that. Wow. But at the same time, I was still, and to, to your, back to your question, which was where I was spiritually, I was still. I, I was comfortable with where I was spiritually. I was trying to explain where I was spiritually to other people. Sure. So I was studying, you know, the, the, I was I was doing some Bible study work with somebody who um, was was about sexuality and religion, and you know what Jesus said and. And the, the clobber passages in the Bible and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and many of the things you guys already talked about in your mm -hmm. podcast so far, um, with several scholars that, that can certainly do much better justice to the stories than I can. Um, but I learned this stuff as I was trying to, so I could explain it to like my mom, who was sure. religious. Um, so that's, that's where I was at the, spiritually. What did he, how, how did he pass? Uh, he, unbeknownst to uh, either of us, had been exposed to HIV, so he, he did have uh, AIDS by the time he passed away. Uh, it was a it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I get the get it mixed yeah. up. If it was non or I think it was non-Hodgkin's. Um, How did his family react to that once? Because was that a? I imagine that he he found that information out before he passed. We found that information out once the lump appeared. And they did a biopsy, um, and and so then they did tests on both of us. He had steroid mm -hmm. converted. I have not. Um, his family did not. Yeah. Uh, I believe his father had passed away by that point. 
uh, and his his uh, his brother was not part of the the conversation. His mother had already passed away uh, years before that, so there wasn't anybody, any family that of his that knew. Mm-hmm. And just uh, frankly, trying I, to keep it keep it quiet for him because right. it was he didn't want his family. He didn't want to be shown. You know, you talk about that lump, and, and and this is a few years before, you know, I came into my own sexuality, but I remember even in my early 20s, um, you know, the Christian, I, I hate calling them the Christian right, because they're, they're so not right, um, but the Christian side of things, they have done such an excellent job of assigning um, traits and and information, I won't call them facts, uh, to our community. And one of those is, is like you said a bit ago, is that if you're gay, you're going to die of AIDS. Um, right. And I remember in my early 20s, you know, just exploring, you know, my sexuality and, and you know, uh, sleeping with, you know, uh, different people. But, you know, there was always that fear. And I remember just, I, you know, because of the shame associated with gay sex, thank you, religion and evangelicals primarily, um, you know, you take a shower and you'd feel your neck for lumps, you'd feel your, mm-hmm. your lymph nodes are swollen. And I just remember it took years to get over that, that fear, you know, in the, in the 90 days post-coital um, with someone you didn't really know the information on where you would still just, you know, get, and now we have quick tests and there's also preventative measures one can take um, right. to not contract the virus, uh, thank God. Um, but you know, it's, I, I just, that fear took years to go away. Um, so what did that do? If you were so, you know, secure in your faith at this point, you had the great love of your life, you had, you know, you had success. What, what did this chapter, what did it do to your relationship with the divine? Uh, this is where I, I refer to it as, uh, it was, you know, it's complicated. <laughs> I would have changed my Facebook status to it. Right, right. Um, absolutely. Uh, there was uh, was his. Sometimes there still is the mm-hmm. anger, a lot of anger. Um, uh, it it made things very difficult for me to continue to believe in a benevolent uh, deity that would allow somebody as good as he was. And as good as my, the friends that we buried that year, I went to four funerals that year. Yeah. Um, and 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 before that, even the friends that we lost, um, it made it very difficult to to feel any kind of connection with with the spiritual force. At yeah. that point, it was. Um, and you know, even to to this day, my mom uh, says, "You know, you're still you're still mad at God." I said, well, I'm, we we have a, a love hate relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it made it very difficult to to believe in anything um, when uh, right in the middle of that. Yeah. Did yeah. meeting the second love of your life did that help to restore any of the faith in in that? Because I feel like so much of my view of the divine comes from connection. So I just wonder if you being able to connect with somebody else helped you to see the spirit world any deeper. Um, that's a good question. I don't know that I've given that any thought. 
That's what um, I'm here for. <laughs> uh, how long is this fight? Um, so, so, I would say by the time I met him, I had already, um, I already opened myself up to the possibility of, of a, 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 the spiritual being there. Um, I don't know that I ever fully, you know, quote unquote, forgave God for, for uh, what he put me through the first time. So it was, it was very difficult. Um, and then even when we had children, it was like, I don't want to, I don't want to force them to go to a church. I don't want to push yeah. them to a religion because I've seen what religion, it, it, when wielded negatively, the, the impact that it can have. Not just seen it, but I mean, you and I, as members of the gay community, have been on the receiving end of, of the the weapon known as the church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I didn't want to do want to force that. I and and again, but my by that point, my thought was also that there was no uh, true quote unquote God. There was a, a something bigger, mm-hmm. um, but I could not. I won't ascribe it or ascribe it to any particular religion. Sure. Um, because I think religion is, is flawed and just in its, uh, in its own, in, own inability to articulate clearly a, a single thought throughout the whole book. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're so right. How, how did you, how did you meet your second husband? Um, well, I was. Uh, this sounds salacious. <laughs> it was. Uh, no, kind of. I was. Um, I was traveling. I, I quit my job um, after the second one, after two years, and I had. Uh, I totally changed my life. I, I threw everything upside down. I quit my job, and I started consulting, uh, which re- which required me to travel. So. One of the first places I traveled to was Memphis, Tennessee. I knew nothing. I love about Memphis. Memphis. I love Memphis too. I, but I knew nothing about it. Remember that uh, the the pyramid building? Yeah. Do you know that it's now a Bass Pro Shop? Is it? Yes, they turned that pyramid <laughs> building into a Bass Pro Shop. I I thought it was a a concert venue. It was, but they yeah. turned they turned a big portion of it into the Bass Pro, the Bass Pro Shop. I did not know that. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll have to go back to Memphis. But the only thing I knew about Memphis was barbecue and Elvis, mm. right? Um, two great things. So, Just this is a side but, note, but because I'm Southern and barbecue is as equal, style of barbecue is equally as important important as to what church you go to and what college you root for. What's your What's your genre of barbecue? Um, I I tend to I tend to like the sauce based. Okay. So you, so Memphis was a good place for you to get barbecue. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Carolina boy. So you're, you're into the vinegar base. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And I, I put vinegar in everything I cook. I mean, well, I, I, I like vinegar too, but I, ugh. I like the, the, the stickiness of the sauce. Uh, there's a time and a place okay. and it, and it helps the, the coleslaw stay with the pork, but I like, um, I'll make my own. I, um, I'll do vinegar and to, it's the only time I use Tabasco sauce, vinegar, Tabasco sauce. I'll put cinnamon in it. Um, and I'll just mix it all together and do a little marinade. Well, that sounds good. It is good. Um, I'll so, have to come back to LA. 
Yeah, carry on. If I get on food, we're gonna we're gonna lose it together. But oh, before we hit record, you guys, just so you know, uh, we discovered my next podcast, which is the, the Fast Food Aficionado, because Jim knows um, that I am obsessed with fast food. I love McDonald's. I love Arby's. Um, I love but can't go to Chick Fil A. Uh, Moe's Tex Mex is my favorite place in the world to eat, which is just in the Midwest and the South. Um, so yes, I uh, I think we have one of those where I live. I think there's yeah. one close by. There probably is. And it's literally, it would be my last meal. I'm obsessed. Okay. It's the first place that my, anytime I go home, my mom's always like, what do you want me to cook? And I'm like, nothing. Let's just go, let's just go eat all my favorite foods. <laughs> <laughs> here's where I go, get, here's where I, where I go, went wrong talking about barbecue. I know, let's, let's uh, circle, circle back. <laughs> so Move to, to Memphis. <laughs> um, so I, I, I had an apartment, I got an apartment in Memphis. I was there for, nine months or so but one of those first weekends i uh, i i dialed up the modem and just stuck onto aol and you know one of those rooms oh i know uh, those rooms and for m rooms and in, mm -hmm. in uh memphis and like hey i'm i'm gonna be working here for several months i don't know anything about the city anybody interested give me a little oh you got the or lay of the land all right <laughs> Something along the, right. those lines, or you know, give me a, an overview of the, 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 the city or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he responded and said, "Well, I was about to go to church, but sure, I can, I can, I can do that if you'd like." So, um, yeah, he was about to go to church. Um, <laughs> that's that's he, I, I forgot that tidbit of the that, that tidbit of the book. Yeah, uh, that's what he claimed. Um, he, uh, he may have been, I don't know. Uh, so he came by and we he drove me all around town out to Germanville and you know just all around showing me the the basically the delay of the land. Um and at the end of that he's like, uh oh, but you might would you like going on, on a date with me on Wednesday? And I'm like, Okay, sure. Um And how many I years had, was this after losing your first husband? Three. So it was still fresh. It was, still two, it was two, well, it was two and a half, I'd say it was on October of 98. So yeah, it was over three, so okay. yeah, three years. Um, but I had had, um, I had dated one or two uh, before him, um, or two or three, somewhere in, the, somewhere in that range, it was a small number. Um, but I knew I wasn't dealing with long distance relationships. There was no, no. Uh, I did not want to have to deal with long distance relationships. So anyway, we went to went to pizza that Wednesday at the, the nice little pizzeria with a brick oven, and um, you know, it, he moved in to my apartment shortly thereafter. It seems <laughs> bringing his dog with him, and you know, every now and again there'd be more clothes, and I'm like, yeah. uh, so um, I'm not sure how that all happened, but eventually he's like. Uh, on uh, Valentine's Day, ninety nine, no ninety eight, no, ninety nine, ninety nine, yes, ninety nine. He uh, he proposed. Uh, that was uh, four months after we'd met. Um, I said yes, and I said I'm not giving up my job. I like what I do, um, and uh, I'm not doing a long distance relationship. So, so pack it up, Bucko. Come we west. We need to make it work. Yep. And he did. Wow. 
So I flew back home uh, at the end of my my project, and uh, he drove the car with the the rental truck with his car towing uh, and the dog on his lap. Wow. So point. was was he religious? He. No, I wouldn't say no. I, I mean, I so that's why I always questioned whether or not he really submit to the church. Right. I did not see him go to church unless it was, uh, you know, with his family. Maybe he's just trying you know, to like impress the impress the new West Coast liberal. Or see if that... <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that helped. <laughs> and how long were you guys married? Um, so we were together 15 years. Wow. Um, we had done a commitment ceremony in in October 99 with a domestic partnership mm-hmm. we worthy of in California at the time um, until 2008 when we had the brief window of marriage yep. uh, equality in California so we got married during that uh, 2008 so we were together from 1998 to 2014 when he passed away. how did he pass um, the the official result was a uh, accidental overdose of opioids. He had, during the course of our relationship, um, of multiple back surgeries, and uh, there was one point in, in the relationship where um, he was doctor shopping for Vicodin, and uh, he had taken uh, upwards of thirty pills a day, which is shitload. That's a lot. Do you feel like? Because, you know, right now, this is, I mean, it's been relevant for a while, but right now there's all these, I mean, Johnson & Johnson and uh, forget the other one, are defending the opioids and, and saying that it's, you know, it's it's not as addictive and it's been all over the news the past couple of days. And I mean, but you saw firsthand how addictive. It, yeah, it, it, it really did come out of nowhere. Um, it, it seemed. Had he struggled, um, I mean, to your knowledge, with any kind of addiction beforehand, whether alcohol yeah, or even he socially? Didn't drink, he didn't like drugs. He do, didn't do anything. Um, and so that I found it incredible that he would be able to do that. Because um, I had been travel, like I said, traveling for work, so I may not have seen mm-hmm. all, of the, uh, all of the things that were happening at the time. Um, but I saw the withdrawals coming out of the account, and approached him that's what it was it was it was still shopping did he seem um, to have any gay trauma associated with his life like from childhood outside of the typical religious right. trauma i don't think so no. okay because i, uh, I asked just because you know addiction can is can sometimes be attributed to the trauma that i mean how many gay men do you know well, that struggle with addiction because of just unresolved trauma there, there were some things I think that were unresolved between uh, his birth father uh, and and a couple of brothers, but um, and, and that was related to the sexuality. So yeah, I guess mm-hmm. there's probably some trauma there. Uh, and uh, when losing him, I mean, so by that point you were still kind of, you didn't know where you were on the spirit world, but I can't imagine that this helped, uh, this helped your view of the divine. I, there's the, we both know this Del Shores line. I, I couldn't decide whether to stay mad at God or just not believe in him, or it was easier to not believe in God than to stay mad at him. Well, yeah, that's, that, that is a, that's a, an excellent line. 
Um, no, it didn't help. Um, I, I think the thing that did eventually help was just going through the passage of time and, and working with people like Dell um, and Levi and you and finding myself in the circle of people who constantly questioning, but always positive. Mm. Um, uh, people like that, that, that helped kind of ground me in, in the, in the, it's okay to have you know, these thoughts, but to, to feel that there's something greater. Sure. To, to what we are what we're doing in our lives yeah um and so it's it it was it, i think it came full circle as i was again as i was writing and reflecting um the 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 type of people that i'm 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 uh, attracted to um vibrationally mm-hmm are the types of people that are providing some kind of, of proof to me that there is a greater collective of us. Yep. Um, in the in in terms of of um, you know, just being connected to other people. Yeah. There's a poem that I love by uh, Richard Verman. Verman, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, called Companions. Um, but it kind of speaks to what you just talked about, how you know you you are vibrationally attracted to people who seem to be searching or actively looking or actively trying to grow. Um, and this this poem um, speaks to that. I encourage you all to look it up. Companions by Richard Verman. That's W-E-H-R-M-A-N. It it just uh, I love it. Um, God, I just, I, 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 I cannot fathom. I've, I've had loves of my life. I've had boyfriends, you know, there's one in particular that, that unfortunately seemed to keep coming back. Um, not because of my own, um, lack of choices. I was fully a participant. Um, but I, you know, losing them in the sense of like breaking up, was difficult enough. I can't fathom what it was like, especially so young, even the second time, to have overcome whatever trauma gay men have, um, you know, whatever uh, experiences you had in losing friends uh, to HIV, but to lose two partners to two major crises that are being, that were and are ignored by this country and our government and our leaders and the religions. Um, that being the AIDS epidemic, which was ignored for so long and is still stigmatized, mm-hmm. and then the opioid epidemic, um, which is overlooked, downplayed, and also stigmatized. Right. How, because I, I mean, and I, I know the answer to this, and I think you do it through funding work that hopefully hopefully has the power to heal people um, through through being an audience member, but how do you, How how do you use those experiences to help other people? I I mean, like, is is that part of the reason you you wanted to get involved with a very sorted wedding and to 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 you know contribute to Levi's artistic abilities and, and then also to mine? Well, I think 
I think all is part of the storytelling that can attract the attention of people who need to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got involved in a very short wedding because it was a, an important storyline on top of a successful franchise within the LGBT community that that we needed to, to share this story. Yeah. You know, there, there's just because, you know, we got the, the marriage equality ruling doesn't mean that everybody was happy about it. And I think yeah. that there's a brilliant job of writing uh, a serious subject with a, with a comedic flair to it that mm-hmm. gets people listening yeah. and, and paying attention. Um, same thing with 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 cognitive. I, I, because I believe in, it's, it's. I don't. I don't. And I believe that people of uh, faith can coexist with with the various sexualities that uh, that help the entire broad spectrum. And when people tell me that they they are believers and they have faith, I, I always tell them, "Could uh, I'm very glad that you found something to give you." Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to take that away from somebody else. So, sure, sure. So, but I think that they also need to, and I also do this with, with the book and the blog, is, is telling the story with truth and understanding where that truth is is the only way that you can you can live your life and move forward. Yeah. You have to address, and I tell this to, um, to people who are grieving, um, you have to address your emotions where you are now. Yeah, yeah. You can't change your past. You have to be where you are now. Whatever you're feeling now, you have to be able to address that. And if you don't know what that truth is, you have to find that truth before you yeah. can ever move beyond that into you know your next phase or your next step or right. wherever you're moving towards. Well, and that's why we, you know we can't force progress either. Yes, we need to march. Yes, we need to stand up and be vocal and adamant. But progress comes from truth. And so we have, we are responsible for living our truth and, and expressing our truth, but that may just be the tip of the iceberg to somebody being able to accept something that they're unaware of until it's right in their family, right in their backyard. Um, with you, you've been fortunate to have a family that, that, you know, has, has, been supportive. I mean, your sister went through her born again phase, but she's kind of come back to a, a sensible um, association with it now, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. What about the um, both sets of in-laws? Are you still close with them? Uh, I am. Well, my first husband, uh, the, both his parents passed away. So, and I never really knew that. Right. Because we were, even after seven years, he was still kind of closeted with that, that sure. Um, the second husband, also named Bob, by the way, um, so it made yeah, made life a lot easier. You know, I was going to say you never had to worry God. about yeah. calling out the wrong name in bed. <laughs> oh, <Bob. laughs> um, yeah, so his in-laws, we still get along. Uh, I they they welcomed me with open arms, um, even even as religious as they were and are. Well, I guess more were. Um, they still accepted me and they accepted our children. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's something I'm always, always grateful for. It's, it's been helpful. It's part of it. 
Um, so, with both of them being named Bob, what was it? Because I, I tell myself that I could not date someone who had my father's name or my brother's name or my nephew's name at this point for obvious reasons. How did that, did when you first met the second Bob, did you have a bit of hesitation of like, I cannot date someone named the same name as my first husband who's passed? Um, yeah, there was a little bit of a, a hesitation. Did you say like, can I call you Robert? Can I call you Bobby? Can I call you something like Thomas? That's so not your name. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Uh, although in hindsight, I probably should have. <laughs> no, I, I was, um, yeah, I do. I, I think I did have a, a brief hesitation. I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, but after a while, it just, it, it didn't. Sure. It didn't, uh, <laughs> what about um so jumping now to your kids abigail and daniel uh and i got to meet abigail for the first time in real life this past sunday too daniel's plane was late so i didn't get to meet him um but i wouldn't have recognized him anyway because he chopped all of his hair off <laughs> apparently um yeah. what in having kids i feel like that's a lot of times people's trigger start to either decide what they believe and and you know get their kids to be a part of it or you know, to kind of just like throw it all up in the air, which you did not want to force them to believe a certain way. So how have you, how have you shared your own faith journey with them? Or, or is it, do you guys speak about it? Um, so, so when they were younger and they visited the in-laws, um, Nana would take them to church. Um, Abby, still says she was traumatized by the, the Jesus stories of being mm -hmm. you know, hung up on a cross. Um, she is also a drama queen, so she may or may not be traumatized. <laughs> uh, Daniel has not expressed um, any interest whatsoever, but what I have tried to do in terms of, of uh, sharing where I come from is we've talked about um, those vibrational planes. I've talked about how, you know, this, this past uh, January, we lost one of our dogs. And so I talked about, uh, you know, vibrationally that that, that that was meant to be, that dog was meant to be with us and that it's probably, you know, vibrationally still around. Um, and that, that how I believe, um, but I also want them to do their own research sure uh, you know if and and an understanding of of where they believe if they believe at all if they believe at all yeah yeah where um, uh, have they read is, the book uh my son has not read the book i know he's not read any part of it abby has said that she's read only the sad parts she's and only read the sad parts she's only read the sad parts and i told her if you're reading only the sad parts you're missing the point of the whole book the whole point of the book yeah which is that there's more to life than the sad part right right it's called life after losses for a reason it's right and have a life even after going through those kinds of losses and, and like you mentioned earlier you know my losses were, were physical mm -hmm. um in, in terms of death in some ways i think i may have got it easier than somebody who may have have to wind up getting divorced right because that person's still walking around. That person's still living sure. their life. Sure. Um, just not with you anymore. So 
you know, there, I think in some, some weird warped sense of, of reality, my, my losses were maybe easier to take than if the, the other half were still. Mm -hmm. How did they respond um, when their father passed? Um, I can't imagine, I, I mean, as, as hard as it is for you to lose someone, watching two people that you love more than anything in the world lose someone as well. Um, so I had, I had uh, just flown in at 2 a.m. that morning uh, and just got home at that point. Uh, it was a Friday morning. And uh, I heard him snoring in the master bedroom. So I said, yeah, I'm not good enough for this. I'll go to sleep in the guest room. So I went there and slept. Uh, woke up early because I had a doctor's appointment the next day. Um, he was still snoring. So I got, and, and he, at the time, he had been suffering from pneumonia as well. Um, so I got up. I got down to school, got showered, and covered him up in the blankets. I'll go to bed with him, uh, still storing away. Went to my doctor's appointment, came back a few hours later. Cleaning ladies were downstairs cleaning. And I asked where he was. They said, oh, he's, he's still in bed when he got here. So I went upstairs and could be very easy to tell what was going on at that point. Uh, so I, uh, I went straight for the phone. Dialed nine one one. I knew I needed to, to start CPR, so start getting him off the bed. Um, we live right in the middle, of the, right near town center, and uh, so within two or three minutes, the paramedics were there. Um, so I we had to go through that, and the police detectives. I I wrote them all about it. And, um. You know, they they were concerned he had overdosed. Uh, well, there was some some cookie powder on the kitchen. <laughs> he he liked sugar, um, which yeah, it's I, apparently a, um, a sign of uh, somebody like has an opioid problem is they like sugar. Um, but he had not had any. They what I found out is that day, or the day before, his doctors prescribed him fentanyl patches. After he had told them no opioids, because he had been clean for years, and why they gave him op uh, fentanyl patches <sighs> on top of pneumonia, I don't know. I can't. I I I I, uh, I took all the medical stuff over to an attorney and said, "Would you guys have done this?" And they said, "Well, it's a viable course of option of treatment." So anyway, um, so the kids were in school and uh, I called one of his friends. So started having a house full of people. Uh, of course, when they came home, we, I, had, I had the friends go pick them up at school after, after the school day there. Uh, they came home and we had a house full of people they didn't know. So one, they're all confused because for all these people in our house. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the the fire chaplain uh, told me you, know, you have to be direct with them. You can't say, you know, he's gone to heaven. You can't say, you, know, you have to say, you know, he died. Uh, 
have to be clear. Right, right. Um, which, you know, seems really harsh. But at a young age, you've got to understand that that, um, that, that doesn't mean, you know, they're not speaking with the angels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I told them, and, and it was just the, the sounds that came out of them uh, still... It's not uh, not something I would uh, I, I ever want to hear again. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the one of the very worst conversations I had to have. Uh, the second one was talking to his mother. Yeah. And uh, and letting her know. Um, has dealing were, has has dealing with that loss made you self protect in a way that. Because I, I mean, I, I assume that you've dated since then, but like, did did that keep you, or you've not dated since then? I have. Well, I have not dated. I've hooked up. Right. Um, and those are two different things, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um, it has been seven and a half years. I made a conscious decision, um, not to, not to date, because I didn't want to bring in dynamics with my children I had sure. to, I was being protective of my children um, and uh, it got to the point where did you um, use was that a scapegoat though Jim do you feel like you were like using that as a reason to not open yourself up for love again of course I was yeah. of course that's the other part of it right um, is I also did not want to uh, risk a three beat yeah you know yeah, uh, triple crown is fine when you're horse racing, but not when you're yeah <laughs> when you're burying husbands. Um, and, and so uh, you know that was part of it. Um, I have uh, since I've written the book and, and gotten some clarity on on some things. Uh, I have since uh, I think I mentioned it the other day. I, I opened myself up to the possibility of potentially looking. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I've done some work with with. Um, listen, listen uh, to what you just said. I've opened myself up to the possibility of potentially <laughs> looking. I leave uh, enough. <laughs> I, I have to. Uh, yes. So um, and then I went. Th- th- I kind of came to that realization for my vacations. Yeah. I haven't uh, done it at least since then. Um, but uh, yeah, I did some work with. Um, you did say something on Sunday that um, that made me clinch up um, was when you you told oh, your daughter if I was twenty years younger. And... No, it was when you you told your daughter that she has a better sex life than you do, and I thought, well, y- y'all are close. We are close. Yeah. We, well, you know, I I tried to foster a relationship with my kids that they can tell me anything, and I think I have that. You've tried uh, to foster yeah. what? Say that again. A relationship with my kids that they can tell me anything. Oh yeah, we can yeah. talk about anything, um, and I think I did that. You know, we we learned very early on that there's a a word for a penis and there's a word for a vagina, and that we use those words. We don't say pee-pee and ta-ta. Or right, whatever. right. Um, you know, there's the we have language. We we use language, um, and so yeah, we I have tried my best as a single parent to usher them through puberty um, with uh, with a sense of understanding their own selves and their own sexuality 
as well as being comfortable in talking about their sexuality. Right. Jim, a lot of people use, uh, they, they credit getting through the grieving process with their faith in God or some kind of spiritual world. Uh, yours is, is still, just from what I know of you, is still pretty in flux. So, how, what, so to people that don't have the kids that they are obliged to wake up and make breakfast for after losing a partner or losing someone important, what, what it, how, how do we get to the life after the loss or the loss is? And I, cause I'll be honest too. Like when I first started reading your book, um, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I've, I've never lost someone, um, in terms of, you know, um, passing away. And that said, it's almost like, cause I, you know, I, I think about it. I've had parents, you know, my parents, my dad had a, a brain cancer last year that during COVID that was, you know, very scary at the time. And, um, I feel like the longer I go without loss, it's almost like a rubber band being pulled tighter and tighter. And I'm just, and, and I try not to think about it, but like there is that anxiety of what happens when it snaps, what happens when I do experience loss for the first time, whether it be a, a, a parent or a partner, um, God forbid, I've got to get the partner first, um, but that's another story. Um, what, do, what do we do? I mean, what, what got you? What's the one thing you could tell me when you lose someone, this is what I wish somebody had told me. Um, you know, I have, uh, well, I did put um, several pieces of advice in the book. Yeah. Um, I have gone through, so there's a, a bullet list of 13 pieces of advice. And we don't want to give all of, all of it away because you no. should go buy the book. Um, but, but what's what's the gist? But you can also see a lot of stuff on the blog too. So yes. The gist of it is um, that you have to just be aware that there's no timeline. Hmm. Nobody else tells you how to grieve. It's your it's your journey. You feel what you need to feel when you feel it. And when you're ready, because a lot of it comes down to making that decision that I'm ready for the next step or I'm ready to, to stop living on in the past. So it's have grace for yourself. It, yeah. It's, it's, Which is odd because when people, how many people told you at the time how to, how to grieve, how to deal with this? So you've got to have that grace for yourself, it sounds like, because not everyone else is going to have the grace for you in your, in your timeline. Right. And you have to, you have to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's going to process their, their grieving timeline differently. But we all go through a lot of the same, same things. And it's, it's understanding what those things are that you're going to go through. Sure. Um, and then developing strategies to deal with them. Yeah. Um, and so I, I have written about that, and they are. I've done three uh, webinars on so far. Um, so the stuff is out there on YouTube. It must be uh, so tough to be known as an expert in grieving. Um, it took me a while to embrace that uh, that title. Um, have you I seen Have I, you seen people benefit from your storytelling? From your from how you are able to communicate your experience you've seen that you maybe have saved someone else from going down the hole of addiction or i have um and and i, I you know I, I read they tell you not to read the reviews but i read the reviews we all um, read the reviews <laughs> you know and and i just got my 43rd uh 43rd credit r- uh, rating on, on amazon today 
uh, so four point four stars. It's not bad. That's pretty um, fucking good. That's pretty good, um, and it's three point eight seven on Goodreads. So yes, um, yeah. Not that I know. This. I don't know. <laughs> you made no, it very but, clear um, that you don't associate anything with numbers. No calendars. Yeah. No reviews. <laughs> no stars. No, uh, but but um, the feedback that I've gotten or, the, or reading some of the reviews that I've, I've read. Um, have been really emotional to me because it, it it the book is is hitting what I wanted to hit. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to help people understand um, what one what they're going through and, and how they can tweak whatever I did for their own benefit and to make it more personalized. Because um, it's not I don't believe in a cookie cutter approach to to going through life yeah because we're all different we all yep. vibrate yep um slightly different um the book then, really it, it, oh, sorry go ahead that, oh and i've gotten some some great uh emails from people who don't say thank reviews. you um I, yeah i got an email to, uh, not too long ago saying you know i lost my my partner after 13 years and your book really helped me understand the you know that what what i'm going through um, one person wrote about losing their, their kid, um, which would t- totally do me if I lost yeah. my um, But how it helped them kind of lo- release some anger around that. Um, and do so, those do those reviews and feedbacks? Do they? I mean, they must help you like heal that much more in this process because you yeah, don't ever well, stop I, grieving, yes. do you? You don't. No, I I don't believe you ever stop. Uh, I, I believe it's always there. Um, it lose. I think time itself helps lessen the intensity, just because of, of time. But I but think it's it like those little things, like oh, next week's the fourteenth. That's seven and a half years from the day. I mean, it's those right. little things that just trigger you all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a class on August fourteenth, so that's yeah, twenty six years. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I know what I'm going to do that day. I'm anticipating how I'm going to feel that day. And mm-hmm. So knowing these things ahead of time allows me to, to stop and acknowledge, say, yep, yeah, this is the day. You know, I, I still miss you. Yeah. I'm still living. Because yeah. that's the bottom line is that I'm still living. I still have a life to live. Yeah. Um, well, and in a sense, like I imagine that you feel that they live through you and and your decisions and behaviors. Well, yes, um, absolutely. Because I and I, I've written about this recently too, where I it, part of the reason that I don't feel that they, the grief doesn't go away is because grief is is just love that doesn't have a place to go. I never stopped loving these men, right? So the grief. Say, is say that again, just so that everyone hears that. I'll even slow it down to enunciate. Um, <laughs> you must be in is, Del Shore's is, class. <laughs> I am. Uh, grief is just love that has no place to go. I never grief, stopped loving these men. Grief is just love that has no place to go. Yeah. I never stopped loving them. So the, the so I'm now transferring that love is now is now grief because they're they're no longer there to, to accept love uh physically and so 
I never stopped loving them. They're, so they're always going to be part of me. They are part of my story. They're part of who I am. They're part of strength that I have become. Uh, they're part of, of the man that I, I am today. Um, so I don't, so this is another reason why I don't think we ever get over any relationship because they're all part of building blocks of mm -hmm. who we become and how we, uh, how we define ourselves. Sure. It's, it's wildly informative. Um, what would be one thing that you would, if, if the face of the divine were in front of you, what's the one thing you would want to say to them? Um, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm, I'm struck between uh, you know, being sarcastic, mean. Um, but honestly, I'm I'm leaning towards thank you. Mm. That, Based on, you know, on my, knowing my first yourself. initial response was you son of a bitch, but yeah, you know, but that's my smart answer. Right. As I, as I am just thinking about it, I, I see, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I think that actually makes a lot of sense because I, you know, there's this idea, no matter what your background is, as kids, we're all taught something about God, whether they're this or they don't exist or they're that. And in my, where I am right now, because I, those two, um, sentiments are pretty, they resonate with me too. The one being gratitude, the one being like, what the fuck are you doing? And I've had a hard time. To me, it's been difficult to disassociate the divine from God. At first glance, it sounds like the same thing. But when I say God, I mean the Southern Baptist Jesus that we were taught about that I don't believe right. in, that I think is actually a sham and used as a way to hold power over people, whether it be misogynistically based, racially based, um, or just religiously based. But the divine, that I can say thank you to, and that I do say thank you to. I mean, like I, I, I have a gratitude journal that I, I write in just about daily um, that ends up being more than gratitude. It, it's just, I mean, God forbid anyone ever find it. I'm not telling you. I'm not going to announce where I keep it hidden, my little diary. Um, but it's full of, like, that book is my divine. That's my connection to the spirit world, I feel like. Um, but that other, the God, that's the one that I'm like, who the fuck do you think you are? How dare you, mm -hmm. you son of a bitch. And that's what I try yeah. to get across with, with cognitive is just that, that convert, you know, especially Christians, we are told we cannot challenge God. We are told we cannot ask God questions or curse God. But even if you believe in the Christ, Christ cursed God in a sense by saying, you forsake, you forsook me. I know that's not yeah. the right tense of the verb, but, um, you know, I, and that's what I, me? I've had um, Rabbi Denise Ager on a few episodes ago. And what I love about Jewish culture is that the entire basis is to challenge God, to ask questions, ask to questions. seek answers. Exactly. And I, and that's why, I mean, I'm, I, I'm reading a, a lot. Of, I, I actually just got this book in the mail yesterday that I started, um, "Becoming Eve" by Abby Stein. Is about uh, she was a, or they were an ultra orthodox rabbi, um, and now they identify as a transgender woman, and uh, oh. and I, I just love that there's a space to like ask those questions. So I think it's important that we do recognize those two sentiments you just had because 
that's that's our, I mean, isn't that the relationship that we have with the divine? Like there's days where we're pissed because the world is going through a pandemic and there's bullshitters out there who are not letting us get past it. And then there's days where we recognize that like, look at that sunset, like, that's stunning. Mm -hmm. Look at my kids. They're so happy. And that makes me happy. I did the right thing. I just think that yeah. honesty with the divine is of the utmost importance to get us to a place of knowing who the divine is to us. And I love that you did that through your book by being so honest and candid about it. Um, so where can we find your book? I mean, I, I, we've already discussed it, but just as a tag, tell us where to go to buy the book. Well, it's available on Amazon, um, uh, for one. It, it, basically, any bookstore, you can get it at Barnes & Noble online. Um, I'm selling uh, signed copies from my website, uh, jameslevesque.com or lifeafterlosses.com. They and that's all, where the, that's where the blog is, right? Yes. So there's um, on the homepage there's uh, the Life After Losses book. There's a link to that. Then then there's a link to the Life After Losses blog uh, as well. I have taken the month of July off, except for a few things like this, and um, we'll be back to, uh, into the writing next week. I think uh, August first is going to be the next update. Um, on the blog, it's updated every Sunday. Nice. Um, I try to, uh, or I have tried over the last, uh, I started in November of last year, um, try to include some uh, some helpful tips. Uh, the last 13 weeks have been all about those 13 tips, mm -hmm. uh, where we've done some, and then I've done some deeper dives in that uh, via video calls as well. Uh, where we've had a number of people in line and, and ask questions uh, you know, that, about different strategies that I've used. Um, so I, I'm hoping that you know, we've, I get to reach more people because I'm, I, what I appreciate that you mentioned earlier is, are things like the reviews where it's, there's a tangible effect mm -hmm. to some people. Um, and it's not a gay story. It's not an uh, LGBTQ story solely. Um, it's not a religion story. It's it's uh, it's a story about something a lot of us go through. Is yep. loss and how do you come out from the other side of that? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting that that a lot of uh, the feedback I've gotten has been from a lot of straight women. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I encourage you guys to go and check it out. Lifeafterlosses.com. There's the chance to read the blog that will return soon and also buy the book. Um, and uh, Jim, any, I, I tend to ask these two questions also to end each episode. What do you say to a young queer person or any queer person who is struggling with a faith identity? And then what do you say to a person of a faith identity who's struggling with the idea of accepting that love like yours is valid. Oh, two tough ones. Um, so for the, the 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 first question, uh, what do I say to a younger person who's dealing with uh, faith issues? Um, open open your eyes to more than what you've been told. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he listen to people like the Matt and, and your guests. Uh, the last eight weeks, you had some fantastic guests. 
uh, I've learned an awful lot just, you know, listening to, to the rabbi you mentioned, um, and then the, you had uh, several other people who, so I would suggest that if you're questioning faith, it's not faith as a whole, it's a faith specific mm -hmm. to what you were told. So open your horizons and look beyond just that. Yeah. Because there is something, uh, there's something out there for, for somebody to believe in that isn't just narrowed down to a particular denomination within a particular faith. Because yep. I don't believe any one particular denomination has the truth. Yeah. Well, don't tell that to the there. Baptists. Well. Don't tell that to the Baptists. Yeah, so which Baptists? Well, Southern Baptists or the, uh, yeah. I so, kind of group them all in the same. I mean, there's there's yeah. a couple good ones out there. <laughs> uh, I, I I went to a Baptist church. Actually, I, I got re rebaptized in the Baptist church oh. when I was a teenager, trying to uh, to get rid of the gay. Yeah. Or no, when I was in the video. Clearly, um, it did not work. No, it didn't. Uh, and I, there's a, another topic that I'll have to share off of the recording. <laughs> But uh, for the for the person of faith who's struggling with uh, with the sexuality of other people's faith, um, I would have the same advice: open your eyes, um, see for yourself that that gay and lesbian and bisexual we're we're not deviants. Mm -hmm. uh, homosexuality exists in nature. Yeah. If it didn't, if it wasn't natural, it wouldn't exist. I, w I wish it existed in my bedroom. Well, that's another subject. <laughs> <laughs> it exists in nature, just not my bedroom. Great. Yeah. That's that's the title. That's the title of my autobiography. That's the next podcast. <laughs> Boy, you're gonna be podcasting up the world up a storm. Well, um, whatever it yeah, takes. I, I think that's 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 what I would tell them is open your eyes. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, my mom has become an advocate for, uh, for, for gay and lesbian parenting. Hmm. And she has, she's of a certain generation that uh, when, when they hear of gay parents, she will turn around and say, my son and his husband did a damn fine job raising my grandchildren. Yeah. So don't you come back at me like that. Yep. Something like that. Where... It's it, if you open your eyes and you see what's there, and associate with people, you we we realize that we're not all as polarized as everybody as they're they're trying to make us be. Yep, yep. There's far more that unites us. Yep. And if we stop listening to them telling us how the other person is telling, thinking, and think for ourselves for change, on both sides, we might be able to get along again. And with that. I think we will call this episode wrapped. Jim, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I, I know that it probably doesn't get any easier each time you tell it um, with recounting those painful experiences, but uh, I hope that through even talking about it today that it, you felt, you feel lighter. Um, and I hope, and actually I don't hope, I know, I know that there are gonna be people listening to this episode who are probably sitting in their car crying, feeling relieved, feeling a sense of, I feel seen. Uh, because of you being able to share your story. And I think that's what makes artists artists or what 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 makes us artists is the ability to use what we've been through to help heal the world, to help progress the world. And that's exactly what you're doing. Um, and as a little bit of a brag on you for a second too, because uh, we didn't talk about the fact that you 
author James Levesque is also author, comma, actor James Levesque. Uh, Jim yeah. started in when, um, <laughs> when I helped Dell create the Dell Shore Studio last year during COVID. Jim was one of my very first students in my Wednesday class. Um, and half my Wednesday class is because of you. Uh, they're all the, 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 real, the real housewives of Lunenburg um, is what I call them. Uh, I have a magnet of all three of them on my refrigerator right now. But um, anyway, and then you graduated into the master's class with Dell. And uh, yeah. you just booked a show in Lunenburg, right? I did. Yeah, I booked. Well, I booked a, a role in in uh, Neil Simon's Rumors, uh, this smaller role because I'm. It, it, it's been many years since I've been your stage, so. Well, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. It's to happening. Doing so, I'm so excited yeah. for you, and I. I, I have some miles. I uh, I want to be there so bad. I'm I'm looking at it. Um, so I also because I want to go stay at Julie's Beach, her little new ocean home, her her uh, her, her, her lake house. Yeah, lake, lake house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does um, look gorgeous. I know. Well, Jim, thank you again. Uh, or Um and then also on Instagram and Facebook. What are you? Are you Jim or James? Uh, it's either going to be J Levesque, J L A V E C K. Um, or life after losses. Yep, both on Instagram, um, and he posts Instagram. some some really great inspirational stuff there too. So um, I, I try to do something every day. Yeah, so go buy the book, y'all. Um, it's it's a really beautiful a beautiful story about how to cope with loss. Um, so thank you again, Jim. I love you lots, and I will see you soon. Okay. Thanks, man. Let me do. The Fagnostic Podcast is a Matt Hayes production. Hosted by, you guessed it, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com. Or on all the socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Music by Michael Spicer. The Fagnostic Podcast is proud to be supported by the Del Shore Studio. Whether you're acting from a pulpit or a proscenium, whether you're writing for a Bible study or a scene study, the Del Shore Studio is an online school offering classes and workshops encouraging all artists to scratch deeper. Visit thedelshorestudio.com for more information. Thank you.